This conversation you're about to listen to is another perfect example of connecting the dots between people who are facilitators and the work that we get to do. I met Josh through several different connections along the way over the last couple of years and have enjoyed every conversation I've had with him. In this particular one, we discuss the importance of facilitation in creating rich dialogue between people that may disagree. He is the co-founder of On The Move Art Studio and instructor at the University of Kentucky. Welcome to Vertical Playpen. My name is Phil, and this is a conversation between myself and Josh Nadsom. Josh, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your willingness to jump on a conversation. I know that we had a previous conversation and it was like, ah, oh, this is so cool. I want to have more of that. If only we'd have press yeah. record that time too. I have lots of those <laughs> moments now that I do a podcast where I have those like, oh, I wish I'd just record all of my life. But then that would probably yeah. be a Truman Show-esque and that, that would be strange. Before we get into like any questions that I may have sent you ahead of time, I want to do a section that I'm calling mystery questions. In adventure education, we have this notion called challenge by choice. So I want to give you true, true uh, choice over your level of challenge. So there are different categories of question and you get to pick. There are either curious, there are in the middle, we've got brave. And then the last one is vulnerable. It's up to you, but which one of those curious, brave or vulnerable would you like to have as your mystery question? Mm, I appreciate the choice, Phil. I will. Let's just go deepest. Let's just go vulnerable. Uh, let's get let's get raw. Let's let's go for it. I'm ready. <laughs> Good. Let's see what we end up getting. <laughs> yeah, we could always edit this out if it's like, oh god, that's too no. But I appreciate Point that. Two, I think yeah. it's I think it's important. Um, so what's yeah. going to happen is I'm going to like riffle through these, and you just tell me to stop, and that that's mm. how it will be more mysterious because I don't want to know what it is necessarily. So here yeah. we go. Okay. Stop. Okay. In what way do you feel incomplete? Ooh, wow. The first thing that pops in my head is, um, you know, I have a, a son now and he is uh, turning, uh, he turns one this year. I'm about 400 miles or so from like my family family. Um, and I think that that's what's popping in my head is like, I'd feel complete if there was if they were like, you know, in the same city at least. Um, but that that part's a bit of a, a missing piece where it's like, you know, I, I have a son, um, but his extended family, my immediate family, is so far away. I mean, it's like a six-hour drive, but it, it, it's 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 far enough where it's hard to get to easily. Um, and and that uh, kind of makes me feel a little bit incomplete where. You know, they see photos, they, we can talk on the phone and all that, but um, the ability to like just easily come on over, hang out on a Sunday, have lunch, um, that would be really awesome, both for him to get to know his extended family more, and then also personally just to have more help, um, just to have more people like, hey, could you watch them for like 30 minutes? I'm going to get like a nice shower or, um, you know, clean up the room a little bit, get the bottles ready. So that's what popped in my head is, is being creating this new life, but being so far from my uh, base family um, is leaving me a little incomplete. I, I so incredibly relate. The last time my, I went to England uh, and brought my daughter, who's now six, she was one. So it's been five years since they've actually seen her. 
It's interesting. I think that probably lots of people as they're hearing this will relate. And so that's why I'm appreciative of you sharing. And, and I'm once again, appreciative of the question because our work, the work that I'm doing, adventure programming, experiential ed, and in, in, in your work possibly as well, there's, you need to be willing to travel for it. There's not, it's a more of a kind of road warrior kind of job there. You can sometimes pull it off in your own communities, but sometimes it's, and I think it's about us anyway, as adventurous people who are, you know, wanting to make that leap. When I was in my twenties, I had no consideration realistically of what it would mean to move to another country other than it's like, oh, this is so cool, right? Like, look how awesome this is, how uh, independent I can be. And it wasn't until I had my daughter, even even getting married, like that wasn't like, oh, that was still weird. And like, but lit- I had that same thought that you're having of like, and for me that it was guilt. And I don't, I wonder if that's e- equal. I felt for the first time really guilty that I'd moved, that it was like a selfish thing to move to a different place. And now I'm not allowing partly her to my daughter to experience my extended family, but also have that family. And I totally as well relate with this idea of even having someone just come by and watch her. So totally relate. I'm sure that other people relate. And uh, thank you for being willing to share that vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a great question. And and especially the guilt. I mean, I, you know, before uh, having my son, you know, there's this like, this idea of like, you know, just being super independent and changing the world and wanting to do all these things and roam around and um, not feeling the the need to make sure that like my family's close. Cause I'm still like chasing my dreams. And suddenly you create another person and it's like, Oh wow. Now I do feel guilty because like I had that experience of being around family and friends and it was very um, stable and very uh, consistent and the same people all the time which is very helpful. Yeah. So I, I, when you said guilt that, that struck a chord with me. Cause I'm like, yeah, I, I feel a little bit of that of like, if he wants to see grandma or great grandma, it's an endeavor. It's not just uh let's just go across the city. It's let's pack up the whole thing and, and, uh, and go hours and, and have to stay for a while. And um, yeah, so I, I definitely res- uh, resonate with what you're saying. You know, we're talking about our relationship to even our parents and, and and some of our past and that connection to a family. So I think that that does like very nicely lean into what was your first interaction with what we would deem and term as a facilitated program? Were you a part of it? Were you, did you go to a training? And what, what kind of feeling did that provide for you that made me made you say like, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, the first thing that pops in my head um, was when I was on the track team at the University of Kentucky, I, I ran track and field for five years. And um, this just kind of happened naturally where, you know, on the track team, you have uh, sprinters, you have jumpers, you have distance runners, you have throwers. And just by natural design, it becomes a little segregated simply because the throwers are going to be spending all the time with the throwers, weightlifting and practicing shot put and all that. The distance runners are going to be out in the streets running 10, 15 miles at a time. And we were part of a team, but there just wasn't really a team aspect. And and I was like getting a little frustrated with that. So I didn't know it was like facilitating or anything. I just decided to like try to bring people together. I thought, you know what? We're all part of this team and we go to these meets and when it's time to cheer people on, uh, most people don't even know each other's names. 
And it just looked a little strange. You know, I would see like Florida uh, and Arkansas and other SEC teams, and it'd all be like yelling for each other. Um, you know, the shot putters were yelling for the distance runners and all that. And, you know, I kind of wanted that for us. So my first experience in this was just not knowing what I was doing, but just kind of like calling a meeting and just like trying to bring people together, different captains from different um, parts of the team. Um, and really just kind of trying to facilitate that conversation of like, how do we come together as a team? Uh, it's hard to, when you know, you're spending so much time practicing with your own specific skill set. Um, how can we build time into that? Um, so that was the first time uh, that I, I kind of looking back was like, oh, that's a bit of like facilitation. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Like I, I really just want to bring people together. Um, so I'd say that was kind of like my first dive into it. You noticed that was a miss like in your in your team. Is there a part to you? And I'm just trying like not to put my feelings on this as well. But like, is there a part to you when you're doing that that was also you you needed that for yourself like were you were feeling a disconnect not only were you noticing a disconnect but like in doing it you're solving your own problem yeah i definitely think there was a lot of myself in there because i just really want people as a whole to come together i thrive off of um social interactions and i'm an extrovert and you know these days on the internet it's really trendy to like hate people and what i mean is um not like hatred like bigotry but rather just like ugh like i can't stand people or i'm so over people or and i'm and i'm so the opposite i genuinely love people and i'm like what do you mean like i i it's i rarely if ever get annoyed by anybody because i'm like i just love people so much and so yeah there's definitely there's definitely a, a bit of a perhaps a selfish thing there is like you know, I wanted people to come together for their own benefit of the team, but then also that's the environment that I want to be a part of is um, any group that I'm a part of. I want there to be um, connection and psychological safety. I want there to be trust. I want there to be a sense of belonging um, for people. But yeah, definitely myself. It's like, you know, try to create the environment that you want to be a part of. I would even have, you know, your question also made me think even further back remember in high school, you know, I was, I guess you would define as like a jock and all that kind of stuff. Yet my friends kind of span every group. And now when I think of when we would have parties, it would get really awkward because like, I'd want to invite everybody because I didn't play like clicks and all that. But then I'd have to remember like, oh, I can't invite this person because this person doesn't get along with them. And they're a cheerleader and she's in the band and they don't get along but it was, it was kind of foreign for me because I was like, I get along with everybody. Yeah. I, I, there's definitely like a, a selfish part of like, this is, this is what I need. So let me try to create it. Another thing that you mentioned that you said you're an extrovert. I am natural introvert. So my yeah. job is extroverted, but I'm an introvert. I want to ask you a question. Cause I I've been thinking of this ruminating on this notion. I feel like a lot of our field, a lot of our industry, a lot of facilitation work was designed by extroverted people for extroverted people and i think about like some of the more exuberant activities that we might ask people to do and you can see the eye rolls of certain other people who are like don't want to participate and you probably experience this in the classroom setting when you're doing some of your work you get these kind of like that that bal you want to try to find a balance how do you as an extrovert manage facilitation when you know that there are people who are not extroverted in your in your groups Wow. Yeah, that, that's a good question. 
I think early on, I didn't do a good job of it because being an extrovert and just wanting so desperately for people to connect, I can look back and, and realize that I was probably making some people uncomfortable that didn't want to participate. And then I would get frustrated because I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I worked so hard to put this together. Like, how are you not ex- excited? But as I kind of evolved and learning from a lot of great people, like our mutual friend, Chad Littlefield, and uh, his late uh, business partner, um, Will Wise, they do a really good job of just using the word invites and invitation. Um, So, you know, watching them work and learning from them, um, I would see that like there's a way to do it where it's, it's inviting people so that there's the element of choice um, and you give people that choice where, you know, Hey, here's the warm up question. Um, You're invited to answer, uh, but you don't have to. Um, Another thing I learned from them is you know, when you're facilitating and, and say it's the same group for, you know, a couple of weeks, um, being really intentional with saying something like, and so for this question, um, I'm going to invite you that if you're usually somebody that speaks first, um, try to be more of a listener. And if you're somebody who's usually listening, see if you want to uh, speak first. And so then suddenly it's giving the introverts an opportunity to, if they want to, to speak, they can but uh, I think sometimes it's like, well, the extroverts are going to take over. So let me just kind of be quiet. So that's definitely been something I've been trying to learn is like remembering that just because I'm really excited about it and like ready to go, other people have different ways of, of contributing and uh, I need to be mindful of that. You said really nicely is that is the invitation. And it's also the, the actual demonstrating role modeling that an invitation is actually real it's like when a boss says my door is always open but you can tell by every other aspect of their work life that that's not true and in the same way in this us if we say there's pure choice but then do the whole we're going to go around the circle and everyone will report out like you've completely negated the whole idea that you wanted a choice by then saying okay i want to see i want to hear from everyone and you can sometimes see that in facilitators where they'll be like i haven't heard much from you josh would you like to speak and you're like no, don't even say that because even by saying that you've kind of implied that they should be speaking more. So like if they choose to be silent the whole time, that needs to be okay. And I think sometimes I've, that's a, been a learning thing for me of like truly letting people, cause I'll get the question from educators like, Phil, how do I encourage those people who choose not to participate to participate more? And I'm like, why does it matter? <laughs> why do you need them to participate more? Who, who is it about? Who's it for? And if it's about you, then that's a, that's a different ping. Like take yourself out of it more, um, but it's a hard. That it's a very challenging thing to try to, to to facilitate and learn. Yeah, I think early on it was definitely uh, more about me because you know when I started teaching at the University of Kentucky, students who didn't participate, I I took it personal. I was you know in my head like, I'm working so hard at putting together this presentation, and you're just sitting there. Uh, and, and, and now realizing that frustration was, yeah, it was about me. It was selfish. It was about me feeling, you know, to get really deep, it, it was probably something about feeling like a bit of rejection. Like I'm out here busting my butt and, and putting this all together and you're not even participating. Now I feel rejected, which is all on me. You know, they're not doing that. So, we, you know, when you said, you know, it's sometimes about us, that that was a good reminder and something I've had to work on is, is to not take it personal because it's not about me. It should be about service to the group. I've always wondered this of like, this would be a cool time travel thing, a waste of time travel. If I'm honest, there are better things you could do, but if time travel existed, 
and you could go back and watch yourself facilitate for the first time? No. no. <laughs> Can you oh, imagine? Yeah. I can't. I don't know what I'd have done, but I know it wouldn't have been great. Yeah, and, and two things that popped in my head in response to what you're saying. One is, so my favorite author is Malcolm Gladwell. Um, if anybody out there is listening can connect me with him, I would love to just sit and chat with him just to get coffee and talk with him. Um, and that's something he said where, like, you know, he there's things that he wrote, you know, five, ten years ago that he's like, you know what, after more thought, um, I'm realizing that either I was wrong or there's a different way to approach it. And in one specific example was kind of this broken windows theory that uh, at first he, he um, you know, was kind of a big supportive of and then realizing that police can use it as a way to um, harass uh, minorities and uh, people of color. And he was saying, and there's this temptation to be like, ah, see, you're like flip-flopping. Like you're just like back and forth. And he was saying like, why wouldn't you want to realize that you're wrong or like once you have new information it's totally okay to be like you know what i i was wrong or i i see this differently now um it would actually be really strange to in your 20s to think no differently than in your 50s for example it would be very odd it would just mean that you didn't gain any new information so that was something that popped in my head and then with the facilitator stuff, you know, this is not quite the same thing, but what happens is like when Facebook shows you like on this day, 10 years ago, this is what you posted as a status. There's a bit of that time travel. And I'll just look at what I posted. I'm like, why did I even think that was important enough to put out in the world? Like the silly little thing that I posted. I'm like, I don't even recognize that person anymore. Um, so it's almost like a Facebook allows us a little bit of time travel to like, Hey, here's what your brain was doing 10 years ago. And you thought it was so important that you needed to put it uh, in a post and share it. And I'm like, Oh, it's, I, I kind of cringe. Uh, but I guess that's, that's the part of growth. that has to happen. And I think it's a cringe, but it's probably like a good thing, right? Like yeah. that shoes, like no. you're happier now or where the state you're in now than maybe that was. And that's okay. Like there's no. some growth. No. It would be, no. it would be harder. I guess if it was the opposite and you looked back and you realized you were better then that would be a, could you like uh, you're like wow in this last 10 years i have like gone down <laughs> that would be bad yeah yeah that would probably be much worse so it's probably better like that we get to have those kind of moments of awareness i think that some of the work you're doing now when you talk about like the the, the social impacts that we may have in the facilitator role how do you use facilitation in the work that you do now? Like, I know there are multiple facets to some of that work, and I, I open it up to you to describe all of those if you'd like. But like, how, how, you, how maybe you use facilitation? Because I think that's so important for people listening of the different layers of places that you can use the work that we do. So one right now is I'm, uh, you know, I'm the co-founder and currently board president of On The Move Art Studio. We're a nonprofit that goes to... Uh, underserved communities and has free arts classes for kids using our mobile trailer. And um, so as the board president at board meetings, you know, I'm always trying to like facilitate the discussion. Um, I try really hard to make sure that uh, people feel connected. We have some sort of like warm up, get to know you kind of question um, before jumping into uh, jumping into the the meats of the meeting. Um, so making sure that there's some, uh, as I learned from, or again, our friend Chad, um, you know, connection before content, trying to use it in that aspect. Something I started before the pandemic was this, um, I call it the American dinner party, 
where um, I just got really fed up with the divide in politics. And uh, I noticed a lot of people saying, you know, we need to come together as a country and then nobody budges. So I thought, you know what? All right, I'll just start it. Um, So I created this dinner series where it would be about three or four liberals and three or four conservatives gathered at a dinner table. And I would be the facilitator. Um, And we would actually talk about the issues over good food and, um, you know, camaraderie, uh, kind of build some connection before and then talk about all the issues that people kind of battle each other to death on the Internet. You know, so we would talk about race. We would talk about religion. We would talk about abortion, gun control all of the stuff that we usually fight about. And I would try to use my facilitator skill to make sure that um, everybody was feeling heard, that the conversation was balanced, that I wasn't showing any bias. Um, so I'd say those are a couple of areas where I, I've been trying to use my skill set of almost just being kind of like a natural peacekeeper. Like I just really want people to get along. Even if I'm not participating in the conversation, if I look around and everybody else is, I feel like, oh, okay, this is awesome. Why do you think, because I like, I think most people here at this probably are fully on board. We're like preaching to the choir when it comes to like the benefit of facilitation and, and in that work, in, in, incredible. We've, we've done a high five, some dialogue sessions with groups that have disagreement. It's so powerful when you have that facilitation. Why is facilitation in the way that we use it or in all the ways that you use it, not the norm, not the uh, standard it feels like when we present, whenever I present in groups, it's always like this incredibly novel experience that people have. And they're like, oh my goodness, I couldn't believe it. Why is that, do you think? I'd say, I think because it it is, you know, I'm, I'm around, you know, people like yourself and, and awesome facilitators so much that it's become kind of like, almost like second nature for me. Until I go out in the world and I'm and I'm with people that this is foreign to, and I realize that it is a bit of a unique, novel concept where most things just kind of organically happen. Like most dinner parties, meetings, just kind of happen, and sometimes for the better, or sometimes for the worse. Sometimes there's no direction. So, like to actually uh, sit down for an hour and plan out how the meeting's going to go um, takes a lot of intention and takes a lot of uh, desire to structure a meeting. So I, I think that I can see why it's a foreign concept to people because it's like, oh, wow, like we've never had somebody, usually we just plop down and we get out our phones and some people talk about whatever, but to have somebody guide us along with such uh, care and such intention um, it is really refreshing. You're almost looking at it like a couple's counselor where you have the husband and wife and they're constantly fighting. And then you go in front of the couple's counselor and finally there's like a neutral party that can hear both sides out and it takes some of the pressure off. Well, and I, one of the things I think that's happening uh, is, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs where, you know, the hope is as individuals, we get our food, shelter and safety and continue to move up the pyramid to the point of like self-actualization, I think that's actually happening as an entire species. I think that as a species, we're collectively moving up that um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs as a group um, where, like you said, more than ever, we're now talking about mental health in a way that was never talked about before. And I think in part, because think of life 600 years ago, 
you couldn't talk about mental health because your entire day was dedicated to survival. Nowadays, we can push a button on our phone and food just shows up at our door. Whereas like 600 years ago, you and I would have had to like spend the whole day trying to hunt a buffalo for our family and hope that we catch it. If not, our whole family dies that winter. You know, so um, it's like now we've saved so much time with all these other things that we're able to, we kind of, for the most part, more than ever, this is the most like sheltered people have been. This is the most access to food we've ever had. So we're kind of collectively moving up that pyramid where more people than ever are able to say like, okay, you know what? I do have most of the basics covered, food, shelter, safety, for the most part. Now let's talk about mental health. You know, we, we talk about, I think it's, it's, you know, we talk about microaggressions, which on one hand is awful that, that people experience that. On the other hand, I'm so excited that like now that's what we're talking about because that means that we are chipping away at issues and we're now at a point where we can talk about microaggressions, which means you know, we used to have to talk about aggressions, aggressions, you know, it's so much explicit racism and bigotry, and that still exists. However, you know, we're moving up this ladder of like, okay, like, let's now talk about, like you said, mental health and microaggressions and, and some of the more um, nuanced things. I really like the direction we're going as a, as a species. It's a great time to be alive. Uh, your positivity, Josh, is absolutely infectious. Um, so hopefully, people <laughs> are you. listening and feel like, "Oh, I want to connect with Josh. I need a boost of a uh, boost of good good feeling." What's one piece of advice that someone has given you along the way from when you started to now that you think is like a core component of the way that you facilitate now that you think other people should be aware of? I think one of the best things I learned, and I would attribute this to. Um, uh, the late Will Wise is just how powerful of a gift listening is uh, and being of service to the group. So there's times where I facilitated where I've spent three days preparing a plan and had a really good plan. If we had 75 minutes together, I had the agenda, the smoothest looking agenda you've ever seen. Every 15 minutes, it was like a cute little cool thing. And early on, I would get kind of frustrated inside when somebody would kind of take it off course because I was like, no, in my head, like I had this plan. But then remembering that if I'm truly listening to people and being of service to the group, then I should deviate because then if I'm trying to stick to this like agenda that I made, that's more about me versus the group saying like, Hey, can we take this little detour here? Um, so really just being of service to the group and then also just, just listening one of my goals in the past couple of years is try to be like the best listener that I can be um, and sit with people. And, and it's been kind of amazing the impact of really trying to like with my whole body, listen to, for example, students, there's a couple that I mentor now and I'll just sit with them for like two hours and just kind of listen and try to give uh, empathic responses and, and, and it's like been kind of revolutionary for them. They say it's like the first time they've ever been seen or felt heard. Uh, and that's been something I've really been trying to get better on is like, how do we provide a space to just truly listen to people? Um, because I think not being heard is one of the biggest issues in society, both for people in relationships and then as a whole, like when you see a protest and you see a riot, that's in large part what it's about is that group of people, they don't feel heard and they don't feel valued. And so it's got to the point where it's time to protest. Um, so I think that would be my advice is like, 
how can you be the best listener? And in Fight Club, they, they said uh, a lot of times people aren't listening. They're just waiting for their turn to speak. And that's always stuck with me. I'm like, all right, Josh, don't do that. Don't just wait for your turn to speak, but like truly listen with your entire being. Um, that would be my uh, advice. Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure as it was the last time we were able to connect. I hope we were able to do so more of this more often. I will throw into the description of this episode. So please make sure you check out the description, all of the ways that you could connect with Josh and find out more about the work that he's doing. I know he likes to connect with people as he's done so with me. So please uh, do that with him also and reach out. And uh, I hope we connect again in the future. That sounds great. Yeah, thank you so much, Phil, for having me. It's been a pleasure and, and love this podcast. So thank you for the opportunity to be a part of it. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving us a good guys.